the unknown. Mystery. Space. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to Journey 164 of the Journey Into podcast, featuring Troubled Child by Rish Outfield. I am your guide on this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from base camp in the Treasure Valley. Heidi ho kids, it's good to be with you here on another journey, and it's also good to be featuring the Second place winner in the Journey into Journey writing contest. A month or so ago, we heard the third place winner. And all of these contest winners have titles of Journey songs that they were assigned uh, when they entered the contest. And they had to write a story with that title. And they had to include lyrics from the song. And so here we have the second place winner. It's interesting to me that at least the winners of the contest all had obscure songs, journey songs. You know, there wasn't separate ways or don't stop believing or anything like that. Uh, It's troubled child and chain reaction. And uh, later on, you'll hear the first place winner, which was back talk. (laughs) Just these obscure older songs of Journey uh, before they they made it really big. And I guess that that makes it fun, too, because when you see the title, you don't think, oh, that's a Journey song, but it is. Uh, We should probably get straight to the story. As I introduced, this story comes to us from Rish Outfield, and of course you know Rish from uh, episodes here on the podcast of Delusions of Grandeur and the Outfield Excursions. So he's no no stranger to this podcast, and several of his stories have appeared on the podcast before. I'll uh, put a link to those here in the show notes on this. But, you know, just as, as a way of introduction for this story, other than being a writer, uh, Rish Outfield is also a podcaster. He's also a audiobook narrator. I believe he's worked in uh, retail before, and I believe... He sells various toys on eBay, and I've heard tell that he also sells blood on the black market. You can hear many of his stories and read many of his stories on Amazon and Audible, and you can also listen to his podcast, The Rish Outcast, which I will also link to. If you'd like to support Rish on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash rishoutfield. And now... Come with me, and let's journey into Life with a Troubled Child. (laughs) 
Troubled Child by Rish Outfield. Alice and Conover had always considered Jess to be a troubled child, even when she was a baby. The first time she had noticed it, Jessica had only been a few months old, maybe half a year, and Allison's sister and sister-in-law were visiting, passing the baby around like a party favor. Each time they held little Jessica, they'd laugh or coo or at least smile contentedly. But the baby fussed and mumbled, almost like she was uncomfortable or had an upset stomach. Finally, Allison was about to take her back when she saw the baby looking across the living room to Daddy, their older cousin, who was sitting, staring at the carpet, looking more dour than usual. And that was really saying something for Daddy, who had a dozen reasons to be unhappy, not the least of which was having once had a daughter of her own. Daddy's daughter had died when she'd been about a year old, climbing through a banister at a Thanksgiving get-together on her soon-to-be ex-husband's side of the family, and falling down the stairs. It had been a freak thing, could have happened to anybody, but it had proven impossible to get over, and eventually Eddie had left her. Daddy and Eddie, if ever a couple had been meant to be, it had been that one. Now, she was resigned to dying an old maid, and spent ten hours or more a day on the internet, commenting on message boards and Facebook posts like a traveling storm cloud, raining bitterness onto every conversation. Little Jess had been reaching for her, trying in her way to get her attention, like she wanted to be picked up from her crib. And Allison had, against her better judgment, asked the woman if she wanted to hold the baby. Just for a minute while I hit the bathroom. Daddy had shaken her head, but her hands had opened up involuntarily when the baby was put near, and she took Jessica into her arms. Allison didn't end up going to the bathroom for an hour, because what happened next was kind of a miracle. The baby made more of those tummy ache sounds, but oh, the noise Daddy Mellon had made. Oh. At first, it had been a sort of surprise series of ohs. Oh as if she was just discovering the baby was there, like she was making the sounds for Jessica's benefit. But then, the tears began to fall, a little bit at first, and then in a torrent that would have been profoundly disturbing had she not been smiling and laughing all the while. Det, what is it? What's wrong? Colleen asked, running over to her side, while Paula, her brother's wife, grabbed the box of tissues from on top of the mantle. I had forgotten, Daddy said, her breath hitching. How it felt. Oh, I had forgotten. And she continued to weep while the baby stared up at her, a surprised but not upset look on her face. The baby's mother had reached for her, wanting to take her daughter away before a terrible accident occurred. But something stopped her. Instead, she stood there, watching this display, while the woman cried and laughed and held the child to her chest and released something that must have been built up inside her all these years, like a blockage in the arteries or plaque on teeth or a cat's hairball and found peace at last. 
Betty was a different woman after that. She participated more with the family, called people on the phone, and socialized all the time. She had found some kind of inner peace. And by the time little Jess was three years old, she had met a man. His name was Carlos, which didn't rhyme, but he seemed to like her anyway. And they were talking about moving in together. Nobody but Allison had made the connection that Jessica might be responsible for this change. But as months went on, it became hard to deny. There was something about the baby, and eventually little girl, that made unhappy people feel happy. And beyond that, that made Jessica want to be around lonely, broken, and miserable people. She always perked up to sad songs on the radio, wanted mommy to watch movies that made her cry, and insisted that the TV be on CNN or MSNBC or any channel showing people mourning or discussing bad news. On September 11th, 2021, Jessica had been practically ecstatic watching the day-long 9-11 tributes. Every time somebody gave a speech or sang a song or talked about that tragedy, she was glued to the set, as though she understood what was going on. Allison had called in sick for work that day and canceled the babysitter so she could sit next to her daughter on the couch and watch her. After a while, she started watching the faces of the people on the news who were smiling for the cameras and hugging their loved ones tight. And the kiss Bill DeGlasio gave Rudy Giuliani during America the Beautiful seemed as surprising to them as it did to the anchors back in the studio. Are you doing this? Allison had asked the girl. Jess had looked over at her, frowning, and her skin seemed gray, like she was going to throw up. Honey? Allison had picked up the girl, who was only three at that time, and patted her back, trying to figure out what was wrong. And then she turned off the television. The result wasn't immediate, but it made a difference. The girl's face went back to its usual color, and though her eyes seemed red and bloodshot, that look of sadness had mostly gone away. Let's put you down for a nap, Allison had said, becoming nervous as the wheels spun in her head. No, TV, Mommy. More TV. Why, baby? Why do you want to watch it? Sad talk, Mommy. More sad talk. And the look on her tiny face was one of want, a biological need, like food and sleep, and the warmth of her mother's touch, come to think of it. There's a hunger inside you, Allison said quietly. She had taken the girl to her own bed, laid down beside her, and watched her go to sleep, somewhere in between concerned and amazed. I don't know if it's a bad thing, but it scares me. Her husband, Don, knew about it too. It had taken him longer to believe it, though. He worked as an 8th grade science and history teacher, and his daughter always seemed to be waiting for him when he'd had a bad day. 
on the few times when the kids actually paid attention or acted respectfully or appreciated his efforts to teach? Those were the days Jessica ignored him and wasn't at all excited that he was home at last. But she sure had a way of making him feel better on those rough afternoons. And the worse a mood he was in, the more she wanted to be Daddy's little girl. She's empathetic, he told Allison one night after tucking the girl into bed. That's what I've been telling you. No, he said, his gaze involuntarily going to the wall that separated their daughter's room from theirs. What you've been saying is... Allison waited for him to finish. When he didn't, she offered... Crazy? No, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say... Supernatural. Allison watched him, waiting for him to make eye contact again. When he finally did, she said, I think it's something just like that. The set of his jaw tightened, but he didn't argue. She... she seems drawn to suffering, Allison continued. We were driving past the homeless guy who always stands by the Walmart exit today, and she wanted me to stop the car. I think she wanted to talk to him. Don tried to ignore that. It scared him, this morbid aspect of his daughter's burgeoning personality. But he loved his wife, so he went ahead and told her what she'd just done that night. While I was tucking her in, she said, Where's Daddy Mommy, Daddy? It was a little weird, so I asked her what she meant. She was asking, I bet I know. Allison said quietly. Don swallowed. He suspected she did. Did you tell her my mother had died? It came up the other day. I had just mentioned it in passing, and she wanted details. Yeah, tonight was the same. She wanted to know where she was and what had happened to her. I asked her if she knew what cancer meant, and though she didn't, boy, her eyes just lit up. Did you tell her? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to, but I was trying to explain about cancer and how sometimes when a person gets sick, they don't get better. And Al, that's what she wanted to hear. She pestered me for details until I started talking about stuff I've never said to anybody, not even you. Things about your mom? Like that I kept going to my friend's house when she was sick because I didn't want to see it? How I wasn't there those last few days because I thought if I wasn't around, it wouldn't be real. And then when she died, I... (laughs) I blamed myself. Allison reached over and took his hand. She watched him in the semi-darkness, understanding how he could laugh about such a thing because Jessica had taken away his sadness and turned it into happiness. You were what, 17? Nobody can blame you. 15. Well, that's even worse. Of course you ran away, and of course you felt terrible after. Don turned to his wife, and though there was a haunted look in his eyes, there was still a smile on his mouth. I've carried that around all these years, never letting it go, but 
tonight, I feel okay about it. Because of Jessica. She thought, but did not say. Your mom would have understood. I hope you know that. I do, Don said, and a little tear snuck out of the corner of his eye and fell onto the bed. Now I do. And then Don, in a moment of quiet vulnerability, told his wife how grateful he was that she was in his life, and what a miracle their daughter was, and if she cared to make another, he'd give it the old college try. And in the other room, half awake and half asleep, the little girl dealt with the loss of her mother and the guilt of selfish, teenaged behavior. By the time she fell completely under, her pillow was wet with regretful tears. Once Jess got old enough to vocalize what she wanted to do and where she wanted to go, her morose fascinations became less surprising. She wanted to go to funerals, to rehab clinics, to pawn shops, to junior high schools, to movie theaters showing international cinema, and to tenement apartments on the dangerous side of town. One time they had been driving down the freeway when the girl had exclaimed, Mommy! Mommy! What's that place with all the fences? I want to go there. It had been the state prison, conveniently situated right beside the interstate. On a couple of occasions, Allison and Don had gone to one of those places she wanted to visit, mostly because Jess wouldn't let go of it, insisting on bringing it up until Allison was too exasperated to tell her no anymore. On one of those mornings, they drove 51 miles to go to the Holocaust exhibit that was passing through the capital. Jessica had plopped herself down at the absolute worst possible display in the tour, where the photographs of the starving, diseased, and dying people were set up, and took in as much misery as she could take, until Allison finally had to physically carry her queasy, hunched-over, drooling child out of the building. It had been disturbing to hear so many people singing and laughing and making out in the middle of a concentration camp remembrance. But Allison understood, just as she understood that most of those people would go home feeling motivated to care more for their fellow men and call the people they had burned bridges with throughout their lives. Once Jessica started school, it became a problem. The teachers didn't really understand it though they also used the word empathetic a great deal, and often had to push Jess away from children who were injured or sick or upset or struggling, like she was a magnet drawn to a big metal refrigerator. She kept sneaking off to the office where kids were being punished, or in seeing the school nurse, and though she wasn't able to make sprained arms or nosebleeds heal, she was able to make hurt feelings fade even if she ended up morose after that, sometimes till the end of the day. She had trouble with reading and math and spelling, and even failed to tie her shoes after all her other elementary schoolmates had learned. Allison suspected she got off, to use her husband's rather coarse way of defining it, on the frustration her teachers and parents felt 
when she tried and failed to learn something. The parent-teacher conferences were awkward, but her kindergarten, first, and third grade teachers had all expressed love for the girl and how she seemed troubled, but it was still a blessing to have her in their class. The second grade teacher had merely wept and hugged Allison and Dawn, admitting she had never wanted to do this for a living and had finally found the courage to put in her notice so that she could go back to pharmacology school in a few days. A children's hospital had been planned for the outskirts of their town, but right now the nearest one was north in the city where they'd seen the Holocaust exhibit. One Saturday morning, Don and Allison loaded Jess into their Suburban and drove up to visit. Don did it with a bit of reluctance, for he'd seen his daughter go into an almost catatonic state after helping the most miserable people in town. In fact, the girl's favorite place to go lately had been the DMV. She wanted to visit that ghastly edifice like other kids love to go to the park or the splash pad. Allison had become resigned to the fact that Jessica wasn't like normal kids and had become much more internally focused since getting pregnant for a second time. She hadn't voiced her concerns, but she did fear that the new child would have certain gifts as well. They parked the car, and Don told Jess, Now listen, we're going to go in there and hand out balloons. You have to control yourself, you understand? You do too much, we're leaving, no matter how much you complain and cry. I won't, promised the girl, much too readily. I know that it makes you feel better to be around this sort of thing, but if you start getting sick, this will be the last time. Jess promised again, and they went inside. They had called ahead, claiming to want to hand out balloons to some of the sick children, and the woman on the phone had warned them that it might not be the best environment for a little girl. When they got inside, they got similar advice from a prematurely bald but baby-faced RN, or orderly, behind the counter. Uh, I gotta warn you, some of the kids in there don't look so good, if you know what I'm talking about. Who? Jessica spoke up, instantly perky. Who doesn't look so good? She said it with such eagerness that the orderly scrutinized her with a kind of suspicion that adults usually took hours around her to develop. Some very sick girls and boys, he said. Sometimes it can be hard to look at them. You understand? Jess nodded big, and the man focused on Allison. There are several children on the first floor that would be fine for you to visit. The second floor is where the more, how do I put it, Distressing patients are staying. Second floor. I want to go to the second floor, Jess announced. Allison and Don shared a tired glance, and they headed for the nearest elevator. They ran out of balloons early on, and little Jessica had a field day. She went from room to room, peeking in on children with cancer, with bone diseases, coronary problems, and two who had been so badly burned they weren't identifiable as boys or girls. 
Allison had to go sit down in the lobby, though it might have been her pregnant condition that caused it. Don held his daughter's hand as they visited suffering, often terminal, children who brightened despite their pain at the arrival of this troubled little girl. Finally, the social call had taken its toll, and Jess was a sweating, stumbling shell of her former self. Dawn had allowed her to visit with one more patient, a dark-skinned boy hooked to machinery that stared blankly at the ceiling, but had a smile on his face as they were leaving, before seeing the perspiration running down his daughter's temples and neck. Okay, time to go, he said, knowing she would argue, but that she was hurting too much to make a fuss. They went down to the waiting room, where Allison was dozing in front of the television. It was muted, but on the news, there was shaky cell phone footage of protesters and angry policemen with riot gear. Let's just rest a while, next to Mom, okay? Don said, sitting Jess in the seat beside her. The orderly, whose name tag actually read Dr. Palfrey, seemed concerned. You went to the second floor, he said quietly, so as not to disturb Allison. I thought I warned you that... I liked it, gasped Jess from her chair, her body in obvious discomfort. The doctor wrinkled his nose. Maybe I should have somebody take a look at you, too and he stepped away, a little quicker than was absolutely necessary. Allison woke up then. She patted her daughter's back, then looked over at her husband. What? What did I miss? Nothing. I just had an idea. What if we opened some kind of office, like for clinical depression, not terminal kids or anything? People could go there if they're feeling suicidal or even unhappy. Then they could leave a donation when they leave. What? He repeated the idea with a couple new details. We can make a bit of money from it. And we'd help people. And give the girl what she needs. Don, what you're describing sounds like... She glanced over at Jessica, who had passed out in the chair. It's prostituting your daughter. She said quietly, but forcefully. Don's eyes went wide. But she wants to do it. It's only prostitution if the pimp makes you do it, right? Allison shook her head. Gross, Don. Did you just compare? Jess stirred in her seat. You were the one who used that word. Don snapped, a little louder than was prudent. Jessica moaned, almost in ecstasy. Fighting, Mama. Keep fighting, please. Immediately, they stopped talking and let the good feelings wash over them. The good feelings generated by their daughter. Back on the television, angry people were looting, lighting fires, and attacking cops. The super on the screen said, Budapest, last evening. A man was screaming in rage on the top of what appeared to be a burned-out ambulance. Jessica sat up straighter in her chair. How far away is Budapest? Can we go there? Allison sighed and reached out her hand toward her husband. Where would we have this clinic? Couldn't we just do it from the garage? 
Don took her hand and gave it a squeeze. That sounds like a great idea. The cast of characters for this story are Tina Kolakowski as Allison, introducing Delilah Kolakowski as Jessica, Big Anklevich as Dawn, Bria Burton as Detty, Kelly Latham as Colleen, and I, lovable for old Marshall, as Dr. Palfrey and the narrator. So there you go. There's Troubled Child by Rish Outfield. And, uh, you know, before I get going here too too long and uh, start talking about the story myself, I promised myself that I would not forget this time to include the author's note for this story by the author himself, Rish Outfield. First off, what a fun idea for a contest. You know, I always enjoy the really specific story prompts where the range of possibility is so narrow that you've got no choice but to create something new, something you never would have come up with on your own without the prompt. I decided the main character would be a mom and the titular character uh, would be her daughter, the titular troubled child. Uh, and, And, you know, that title, Troubled Child, had plenty of possibilities. But I had to figure out what exactly was going on with the child to make him or her troubled. So I made a list. Um, One, the girl knows things she can't possibly know. Two, she's haunted by bad dreams of things that will happen the following day somewhere in the world. Three, She farts an awful lot. Four, she can travel back in time and fix things that go wrong, but can only do it once for each person. Five, she is periodically possessed by another mind, which turns out to be her adult self. And then six uh, is what I went with. Uh, I I didn't know which would be the best story, uh, but you also required us to use lines from the song in our stories, perhaps demonstrating that you're not quite as nice a guy as you pretend to be. So I looked over the lyrics and the lines, there's a hunger inside you and makes you feel better, seemed to nudge me in the direction the story ultimately went that there was a little girl uh, drawn to misery and pain that could take it all away. And I did consider briefly, because for some reason I thought the story could only be three or 4,000 words long. Big Anklevich says that that was his fault, that he said that it could only be 2,000 words. But it clearly said it could be 7,500. I don't know why I shot myself in the foot like that, but originally I considered having Jessica encounter another troubled child. This one, a boy who 
when he saw people were happy, had the supernatural ability to make them unhappy. But I never got there. Maybe if I had known that it was 7,500 words. But who knows? Uh, regardless, I, I, I hope that people liked the story. And um, I thank you for running it on the show. I don't do full cast anymore because it's maddening. But I do thank you for another fun contest. And I cannot wait uh, until the one you're doing next year where it's all Right Said Fred songs. <laughs> well, thanks, Rish. I, I did enjoy the story. And yeah, we'll have to see about future contests, whether I do Journey again <laughs> or some other band. Or some other premise altogether. I just got to finish up the this one first before I think about a f- contest in the future. I'm sure I'll do it, though. <laughs> I'm a sucker for punishment. Uh, and I enjoy it. I enjoy reading other people's stories based on my prompt. And I enjoy producing these stories here for the podcast. So, yeah, this, is, this was a great story. As As we were judging stories in the contest, you know, I was paid particular attention to not be biased toward this story because it is Rish. And, you know, I'm a fan of, of Rish's stories. I'm a friend with Rish. So I didn't want that to uh, taint. Ooh, taint. It's not a good word. <laughs> to color, to uh, dissuade or influence. There you go. I didn't want it to influence my vote for the story. And so I, I tried to weigh that against the other stories, but this story kept coming back to my mind. I kept thinking about it, about just the implications of raising a child like Jessica that was drawn to the misery of others, and that as a side effect, it made other people feel good. What a great superpower. <laughs> Even though we don't know the the source of this, whether it is supernatural, as the parents thought, or whether it's, you know, some kind of mutant ability or psi power or something like that. It's interesting because right now I'm also listening to Stephen King's A Firestarter, which is about a young girl that has pyrotechnesis. I'm sure I said that wrong. Telekinesis. Yeah, pyrotechnesis. And, you know, of course, her power came... Her parents took a certain drug that gave them abilities, and then they had a child, and different abilities were passed on to her. We don't know the source of Jessica's power or you know where where this comes from. It's also interesting what Rish said in his author's note about uh, maybe there's another child out there that's the opposite, that is drawn to people that are happy, that kind of leeches that happiness away from them and makes them sad, which is, of course, the opposite of Jessica's ability. Uh, and who knows, you know, maybe this second child that Allison and Don are going to have uh, will be that other child. I don't know if Rish plans on expanding this story or writing a sequel or anything like that. I kind of have mixed feelings about, you know, Rish saying that he thought the word count was smaller than it was. It would have been interesting to see if he would have kept going and written a longer story. Uh, but then, of course... <laughs> If if that story had also been one of the winners of the contest, uh, then it would have taken me longer <laughs> to produce. So that that's kind of a, a two-edged sword there. Um, but yeah, I, I hope he does expand this story and, and move on. You know, the creepy child uh, with super, superpowers, I, you know, is definitely one of the things that 
Rish likes to write about, but it's also one of the things that, you know, it's just intriguing because, you know, children are supposed to be innocent and be learning things and, you know, you're able to teach them. And, but if they know more than adults or if they have this odd obsession with misery and grief, that's just, that's something that's really creepy. And, you know, I, I often talk to the people that are members of my Patreon about the different TV shows that uh, I or my family are watching. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we watched together as a family after my wife and I had seen it was we watched all the episodes of Grimm, which was kind of a, you know, a monster hunter person that was also a police detective. And, uh, you know, there was a whole bunch of different characters and and they're all based on, you know, grim fairy tales or Germanic folk tales and things like that. And so, you know, one of the monsters or the beings that he fights um, are Hexen Beasts, which is kind of like a witch. Uh, the women witches are Hexen Beasts and men witches are Zobber Beasts. <laughs> and one of these Hexen Beasts and Zobber Beasts uh, got together and had a child, and the girl Diana, their their daughter, uh, was a very creepy child. <laughs> and um, every time she came on the screen or said something weird, and looked at the camera or said, "Oh, mommy, I'm feeling this way" or something like that, it's just like, "Oh man," <laughs> my whole family would just say, "Oh man, she's so creepy," <laughs> and that's and that's kind of fun and that's kind of cool, and. And I kind of got that vibe here from Jessica, you know, just she, the way she responds to things and the things she wants to do is very bizarre. But as parents are want to do, they get to know their kids and they get to understand their kids and the parents are learning how to deal with um, their daughter that's drawn to this and they, they can see the benefits of it. Um, But yeah, it's, it would definitely be hard to get used to that. And I'm really glad that uh, I got a younger actor to play Jessica. It, it just worked out perfect. I was thinking, okay, who could I ask to be the to play the Jessica character? Because they had to play her as a really young, like three-year-old, and then they had to play her as like a nine-year-old, eight-year-old, or well, I guess she was in the third grade, so nine-year-old or something like that. And so I was thinking, okay, I could, I could uh, try to contact my nephew. <laughs> and because he has a daughter about that age and, you know, send him the story and the lines and have him work with her or my, my, his wife or, you know, something like that to work with uh, their daughter to, to give me these lines. But I had no idea what her talent was, you know, if, if she would read the lines well or do a good job. But I, and I had asked Tina Kolakowski to do the voice of Allison and she did a, a part for uh, Chain Reaction. And after giving me the I mean, it was only a couple quick lines. But I, I did have her in mind to play Allison, like I said. And after she, when she sent me the lines, she says, Hey, my daughter is interested in reading lines for a story. So if you ever have a story that you need a younger girl to read, she'd be really interested to do that. <laughs> that well that's perfect i already had tina in mind for the mom so i could just have her read the lines for 
Jessica, and it worked out perfect. And so I'm I'm so glad that Delilah uh, was able to lend her voice to this as well. I'm grateful for Big Anklevich. He always does a good job. It's great to have him on there. And uh, I even pulled my wife in <laughs> for that for one line. And then uh, Bria Burton, I thought did a tremendous job. She, you know, I, I was Deddy was the last person that I cast the voice for, and Deddy doesn't have very many lines, but she definitely. I wanted to catch that emotion of what she was going through while holding the baby Jessica in her, in her arms, and so I, I, I sent the email to Bree. I said, "Hey, sorry about this. You know, it's kind of last minute, but can do you think you can read these lines? I I really want to sell the emotion on this," and she agreed to do it. And then she sent me the lines, but she said. Yeah, let me know if you want me to do it again. I don't think it turned out very well. Or I can't remember exactly what she said, but, you know, she's like, you know, I can definitely do that over again. I don't know if I captured the emotions the way you wanted. And and I listened to her audio, and I started feeling for her. I'm like, oh, is she okay? Bria, Bria, can I help you? And so uh, I thought she did a great job with those lines of Deddy and, and crying while talking and um, yeah, that was great. And so even the little parts are so important on these stories. Uh, so again, once again, I have to thank a great, uh, cast of voices for this. Um, uh, that's the part that kind of makes the uh, full cast stuff so fun for me is to have all these contributions by other people, especially when it works out as well as it did on this one. And, you know, yeah, it's it's definitely much more work to send the emails out and to get the lines in and put them in and make sure it meshes well. You know, there's always, you know, people have different noise and, and you know, the audio tracks don't sound perfect together as if they were all in the same room, but you do the best you can with what you got. So some of that's difficult to manage and and it definitely takes time to put a full cast together more so than it does if it's just a single narrator read. Or if I'm doing it all myself, that's that's a lot easier to do because I'm in charge of myself and I can edit myself and I can come back with retakes a lot easier than it is to, to have other people do that. But when there's a finished product and it all comes together well and you get really cool performances like Delilah's and things like that, then to me that, that makes it all worth it. It, it, it makes it a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm glad that I was able to run this story. Congratulations on being a winner in the contest, Rish. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed the production of it as well. And there's one left, right? Uh, We have Backtalk that I need to do next. And then we'll have done all three of the winners of the contest. I'm looking to do some big things with that one, so I, I hope it all works out. And I'm looking forward to producing that one, even though... That, again, that, it's a lot of work, but uh, I think it'll be fun, and I'll definitely be presenting it here on the podcast when I'm done with that. I know there'll be plenty of things coming up along the way, but that'll do it for this episode. I hope everybody, if you'd like to email me here at the podcast, you can do so at Journey Into Podcast, all one word, Journey Into Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me at Journey Into on Twitter and Facebook. You can 
call into the voicemail line if you'd like to make a comment and have your voice heard here on the podcast. Just call 77JN2107. And if you'd like to contribute to the podcast and support me on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash journeyinto. And I'd love to have you join over there. It's only $1 a month to start. I, I, I'd appreciate any support. Um, as always, please uh, spread the word. If you want to give me a, a rating on iTunes or anything like that, it'd be much appreciated. Shout this episode out on, on social media everywhere. <laughs> okay, I'm done plugging. I'm done. Uh, I'm done with my pitch there. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, but until next time, kids, stay safe out there and journey on. You guys should have this Creative Commons thing down by now. Say it with me. The Journey Into Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative license. This means that you can share this podcast with whoever you would like, but please do not change it or sell it. And let people know where you got it from. The theme music for this podcast is provided by Man in Space. He worked as an English grade. I always do that. Did that last time I read this. He worked as an eighth grade. He worked as an eighth grade science and history teacher. <clears throat> okay, this is going to be my author's note for uh, Marshall Latham. Uh, or not. I could just send him that. And then Dawn, in a quiet, in a quiet moment. And then Dawn. In a moment of quiet vulnerability, vulnerability, and then dawn, in a moment of quiet, in a moment of quiet vulnerable, in a moment of quiet vulnerable, darn it, I guess I said it better the first time, admitting she had never wanted to do this for a living, and had foundly find, and had foundly f- <laughs> Okay, (laughs) tell me, tell me that, yeah, that might be way too over the top or way too fake sounding. So let, let me know. Okay. Bye. How far away is, what's that word? Budapest. How far away is Budapest? Can we go there? (sighs) Where would we have this clinic? Could we just do it from the garage? (laughs) You shouldn't laugh, but that's very funny.